What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Tuned Up on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. I am your host, Mike. Joining me, as always, is my co-captain, Cameron. Howdy, howdy, y'all. And today, we have a lot to discuss. Not so much in the review section, but we're catching up on a lot of news, plus reviews for the Doro Hidoro OVA that was just released on Netflix, the Fungies second half of season one, and the series finale, Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts. That but is first, so weird. I know, right? Yeah. But first, <laughs> Cameron, let's, uh, let's go around the world of animation and talk about this news. All righty. We got a lot to talk about, and that includes not just the animation news we're catching up on, but we'll also be talking about the New York Comic-Con news. So uh, first up, uh, Max Keen, the son of Glenn Keen, whose new movie Over the Moon comes out next week, and we'll be talking about that for the next episode, so stay tuned. Um, but anyway, uh, Max Keen's uh, storybook, uh, Trash Truck, is getting a preschool series for Netflix that's coming out next month, and it's a it's it. Here's the syn- the synopsis. Hank is a free range, dirt covered six year old boy with a big imagination and an even bigger best pal, a giant honking, snorting trash truck. From learning to fly to going to the dentist, there is no adventure too big or too small for these two best friends. So the voice cast will include Brian uh, Baumgartner from The Office. Uh, you might know him as a guy who spills the chili. Mm. Um, as Walter. Uh, Glenn Keane will be Grandpa and Trash Truck. Max Keane will voice the dad. Henry Keane will be Hank. Megan Keane, <laughs> I guess the whole Keane family's on this. I love it. Um, will be the mom. Olive Keane as, well, Olive. Uh, Lucas Neff as Donnie and Jackie Loeb as Miss Mona. And yeah, next next month, man. It's cute. I don't know if we'll be tackling it because we're trying to stay away from preschool stuff because it's not for us. It's not aimed at our interests. It's for little kids. Unless I, so, I, yeah. I still might check it out only because of the Keen family, but we we will. It, it's it's low priority for us in terms of our our slate. Yeah, but it it looks cute. Yeah, I mean, like I'll, I'll definitely check it out. Uh, just for the curiosity of it all. Um, so WB has another uh, animated movie in the works. And it they found its director, Alex Timbers, who will be uh, directing the adaptation of Toto, the dog gone amazing story of The Wizard of Oz, which is, from what I can tell, told through the eyes of Toto. Interesting news and an interesting book. I don't know... I mean, like I'm unfamiliar with the book, so maybe it's going it. It's a better book than it. What how it sounds? But uh, uh what do you have for a quick uh, thoughts? I'm interested in in what in WB doing another sort of Wizard of Oz adjacent uh, adaptation, as opposed to I don't know if I don't know if you noticed this, but of of all like the Frank Baum like Oz books only two of them have been adapted and even then they're like they're really loose adaptations 
like we like we all know the cla- the classic 1939 film oh yeah who knows how how faithful it is to the actual book yeah and that's just a great movie just <laughs> one of the all-time classics oh, of course but yeah um if alex timbers sounds familiar he's the um guy who directed moulin rouge the moulin rouge musical and uh he also help, was helping out uh, Beetlejuice on Broadway as well. So, so well, words, I think I think this project is in good hands. Yeah, we'll we'll just have to see what happens and how a Broadway person comes into the world of animation. I mean, that's hap- that's happened already before, you know. Oh yeah, that's right. No, it just <laughs> it escapes my mind sometimes how many people come into animation and then don't have much animation experience into them. All right, with them, but we'll have to see. So Disney Channel has greenlit a new Dan Povenmeyer pitch for a show called Hamster and Gretel. Um, if his name sounds familiar, you know him as a Phineas and Ferb crea- uh, creator. And um, Mike, what was the other show he worked on? Uh, uh, Milo Murphy's Law. Yeah, Milo Murphy's Law, a.k.a. the show with Weird Al as the main character. Um, so I'm kind of curious about this show. Like it looks cute. I like the, the title and due to the creator behind it, I'm probably going to check it out. I'm just worried that the fan base is just going to ignore this one because that's what they did with Milo Murphy's law. How dare, how dare you ignore a show with weird Al as, as the main character? Seriously, I get that Phineas and Ferb was amazing, apparently. I haven't seen it, but if you're a fan of the guy's work, you support and watch his other work as well, because otherwise he's going to not have that, like, get that many. I don't know. Fan bases like this bug me, because it's like they call themselves fans of the guy's work, and then they don't support the other work, and... But uh, we'll have to see. Um, it, it sounds cute. It's, uh, let's see. The musical-filled uh, Hamster and Gretel introduces Kevin and younger sister Gretel, who are about to be bestowed superpowers by space aliens. But something goes awry, and it's Gretel and her pet hamster, named Hamster, who suddenly have new abilities. Now, protective older brother Kevin must figure out how to work with both Gretel and her pet hamster to protect their city from mysterious dangers. See, that sounds kind of funny. I I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I I really like the sound of this. Yeah, yeah. And the the you know, he he and his team have such fun talent and like good writing and such. Get please support it. Come on, people. Uh so next up, uh Netflix is gonna bring a trio of animated shorts to streaming. These include If Anything Happens, I Love You um let's see uh canvas and uh let's see cops and robbers yeah cops and robbers and this sounds promising it sounds like they want to pull a uh spark shorts from uh from pixar and disney by making exclusive shorts for the service and hey i'm all for that they're they got a lot of interesting people behind some of these shorts and 
lot of inclusiveness. So no matter the criticisms aimed at how Netflix runs their streaming service and what gets greenlit, renewed, and canceled, they do a lot of good stuff with animation. They're taking it seriously because, you know, they just opened a huge uh, building just for their animation stuff. So they take this seriously. I Yeah, I think that that detail um is something that i'm really excited about that they're they're going all in when it comes to animation from from these shorts to all their collaborations with dreamworks with um with warner animation with their um green eggs and ham show which Mm -hmm. i will still recommend it to anyone who doubts uh WB's handling of the Dr. Seuss um, library. Yeah. But yeah, these, these shorts all sound amazing. And I, I, I love the people who are involved. Like Laura Dern is executive producing. If anything happens to, if anything happens, I love you. Um, and, and just like the premises of, uh, of Canvas and Cops and Robbers sound very timely to say the least (laughs) yeah and uh i love the visual image of cops and robbers the one where where it's like half 2d half like part real life and such oh yeah that that looks great yeah and uh canvas looks great and uh if anything happens i love you that (laughs) that looks dark but uh i'm sure that's a point of course so um yeah so I'm, i'm looking forward to it the Paw Patrol movie, based off the super popular kids show, has a voice cast, and it's as celebrity studded as you would think it is. Uh, the cast includes Kim Kardashian, Dax Shepard, Jimmy Kimmel, Tyler Perry, Yara Shahidi, Randall Park, Ian Armitage, Marci Martin, and Will Brisbane. Not much else to say. <laughs> we don't watch Paw Patrol. We, I just know it's super popular. I know my niece just loves it. And kind of interesting to see Kim Kardashian on there. <laughs> like, I'm sure a lot of these people are doing it for their kids, which, you know, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, you, you, you hear that all the time in, in interviews. Like when, and, when, when they sign on to a project that they may or may not care about, outside of the fact that they have kids, they want to be involved in something that they can watch. Yeah. You know, the drill. Yeah, no, and, you know, nothing wrong with doing something for your kids. I mean, yeah, granted, I probably want to see some of these people in, like, a Pixar or Disney movie more more than a uh, Paw Patrol film, but, you know, it's popular. I'm not surprised it's getting a movie. We'll just have to see what happens. It's uh, planned to be released uh, next year on in August 2021. We'll just have to see what how things play out and whatnot. The one the one question I have though is um like I'm I'm looking I'm looking at these credits on IMDB and I have no I have no idea if like if they had celebrities voicing just like all the ancillary characters while the main the main voice actors are are playing the I guess the main cast. Oh yeah, that, no, that's weird. It it kind of reminds me of the marketing for that My Little Pony the movie 
uh, film uh, that came yeah, out yeah. three years ago or so, because that was a problem with the first trailer. It showed off all the celebrities that they got. And then uh, that got a lot of backlash because, you know, <laughs> the voice actors actors are the reason they watch the show. Kids don't care about celebrities. The celebrities are there for the adults. And um, so it's, but then they showed the next, the official poster and it had all the voice actors like Tara Strong and whatnot up front and center. So it's like, good. <laughs> Same with like the Teen Titans go to the movies uh, credits. Like they put the voice actors first and not the uh, Christian Bell and Will Arnett and whatnot. So we'll have to see. Speaking of Paramount and Nickelodeon, we got our first look at everyone's most anticipated spinoff coming to Paramount Plus, a.k.a. CBS All Access. We have the first image of Camp Coral, the SpongeBob prequel spinoff. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I'm. We're probably not going to watch it. I don't care if this is like, con this falls into continuity. I don't know why people care about continuity with SpongeBob unless it really matters that much in the overall show and whatnot. But it's, a, I mean, I get it. Steve Hillenburg did not want spinoffs and whatnot, and they waited until he died. And it's, and that sucks. It's super cynical. But I don't know. I guess to me, I'm trying to save my energy to be mad at stuff that's worth getting mad at. Yeah, all, all things all things considered, this is like literally literally nothing to get upset about. That that being said, I find it I, I find I find something else more fascinating. Um, there's an image going around of like next gen Nick, which also has um, the first images of the Rugrats reboot. Yeah, and those those character designs translate really well into 3D. Yeah, it, it's and it's like it's not like this show's going to be like a new long running thing, or at least so far it's not. Uh, because it's so far it only it's go, only going to have 13 episodes. But SpongeBob has translated really well to CGI. It's not like it's going to go into that kind of weird half baked version like the Alvin and the Chipmunks cgi show and whatnot yeah no this this looks much better than that yeah and i don't know why maybe it's because i'm looking at the image and i see plankton as the obvious cook and whatnot uh it kind of makes me think of that uh comedy wet hot american summer and oh, yeah with he kind of reminds me of christopher christopher maloney's character who was the chef who had a can of talking beans or a, a talking can of beans and it, who was voiced by the guy who voices Bob in Bob's Burgers and Archer and Archer and whatnot. Oh, that's that's funny. Yeah. Oh, it, it was super funny. Uh, sorry. <laughs> honestly, there's not much to talk about with this Camp Coral thing. It's going to show up on there. And honestly, I'm more mad that Paramount hasn't given the rest of the world uh, the Sponge on a Run movie because it's like, come on. Nothing else is coming out. Put it on demand. It will make money. It's SpongeBob. 
like SpongeBob wouldn't be around if it still wasn't a giant juggernaut in franchise and merchandise. But we, we, I don't want to take up any more of our time with talking about Sponge on a Run until we actually get a release date. <laughs> yeah. One more thing, though, about Camp Coral. This is um, premiering on CBS All Access. So um, I, guess ev- I guess eventually I'll have to get the service, but... Honestly, but... there, yeah. Honestly, there's just not a whole lot of, uh, like to offer with that uh, service and we will be talking about uh star trek lower decks maybe in november as a catch-up episode alongside like duncanville and a few other shows we need to watch but it's just i'm not impressed by star trek lower decks and they need to have more than just that and honestly i'm more annoyed by the whole news story that they might do a Patrick star spinoff than a camp coral. Like that's more annoying to me. Um, but enough about that. Uh, Shannon Tittle, uh, Tyndall and Peter Ramsey will be adapting William Joyce's Ollie's Odyssey for Netflix. And it's uh, based off of uh, lost Ollie. It's the story of a lost toy uh, searching across the countryside for the boy who lost him and the story of the boy who lost more than a best friend. It's a, uh, so it's a, sounds like a mini series uh, because they're going to have uh, four 45 minute episodes. Well, first of all, the talent attached is great. So, oh yeah. Uh, Shannon Tyndall worked on Kubo and the Two Strings and Coraline. And of course, uh, Peter Ramsey, uh, <laughs> well, you know, uh, Rise of the Guardians and Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. I'm I'm excited. I liked seeing uh animated miniseries. So, well, we'll have to see. Yeah, this this uh, this sounds great just based off the talent alone. And it's um you said four 45-minute episodes? Yeah. Yeah, that 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 gi- that will give us a lot to chew on. Man, it's been it's been in the work for 4 years. Wow. Um, so, um, yeah, that's it for that. But, uh, more awesome HBO Max cartoon news. Noelle Stevenson, the co-creator of the Lumberjanes, is adapting the show into a cartoon series for HBO Max. This sounds great. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, and no, uh, no release date, but the story is... The Lumberjanes tells of fi- tells of five friends, April, Joe, Mal, Molly, and Ripley, who meet one fateful summer at a camp named uh, Miss Quinzella, uh, Thisquin, Penicquil, Quickquil, Thistle, Crumpets Camp for Hardcore Lady Types. <laughs> I love that. I love that title. Mouthful, but I love it. Um, their differences aren't the only thing they have to canoe around as the girls soon discover there are mysterious and supernatural forces afoot. This sounds great. I, I want to watch it. <laughs> yeah. And I know some people are mad that there was supposed to be a live action adaptation from Fox before the whole Disney acquisition and then Disney canned it. I'm sorry. I don't care. <laughs> I, I think an animated series would serve this better because there are over 70 issues and 13 graphic novels. I don't think a movie would uh, 
do this setting justice. It's not going to get treated well with live action. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, any other sh- thoughts before we move on? I just think it's really cool how Noel Stevenson's career is, is coming full circle. So this L- Lumberjanes, to my knowledge, um, came out um, came out in 2014. So this was this was like four years before Shira on on Netflix, and before that she was she also worked as a writer on Disney's Wander Over Yonder, Good and show. now. And now after She-Ra ended, she gets to come back to her own creation and turn that into an animated series. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, good job for her, man. <laughs> like, awesome. Speaking of awesome people, Jorge Gutierrez, the director of The Book of Life, the creator of El Tigre, character designer for Mucha Lucha, and the upcoming Netflix um, original series, our limited series, Maya and the Three, a Mesoamerican fantasy epic coming out next year, has signed an overall deal in partnership with Netflix. Again, say what you will about Netflix. They're going all in on the animation front. And I love this guy. He has such a wickedly awesome uh, art style. And he's such a nice guy. Like I feel like this is a guy I would know and want to hang out with. Um, but yeah, you know what? Good on him. That's good. That's, that's huge news, um, for him to get this big of a deal with Netflix. So it sounds like my end, the three is turning out to be what sounds like a pretty good project. Oh yeah. It's yeah. like this, this couldn't have happened to a better, like a better filmmaker. Yeah. And I know there was like that inevitable battle between book of life and Coco, but here's a hot take. Both are great movies, and you you don't need to put one down to raise the other up. They're both great movies, so let's just get past that. Uh, speaking of um, Netflix, the Blue Eye Samurai is uh, just a new project for Netflix from Michael Green and Amber Noizumi has a voice cast that includes Maya Erskine, George Takei, and Masioka. Uh, and the uh, they will serve as writers, executive producers, and showrunners, while Jane Wu, who worked on Men in Black, the series, Jackie Chan Adventures, the big guy and Rusty the Boy Robot will serve as supervising director and a producer along with Erwin uh, Stoff of Edge of Tomorrow, 13 Hours, Call of the Wild, will be a uh, non-writing executive producer. This sounds like a great... Uh, oh, uh, the rest of the voice cast um, includes Randall Park, Carrie Hiroyuki Tagawa, Brenda Song, and Darren Barnett. That sounds... <laughs> that's a great lineup of talent just all around on oh, and yeah. off, off the screen and you know if it has George Takei I gotta watch it <laughs> um but man Netflix slow down a little I <laughs> I'm gonna have trouble keeping track of all this oh and before we move on to this next final bit there's some news that I forgot to bring up about a new animation studio called 
Spire, which is being founded by Brad Lewis, who worked on DreamWorks and Pixar films. I mean, first of all, good job for a new studio being founded. I think that's not, that's going to be great. And we definitely need to see more more new studios popping up. Yeah, it it helps because there just needs it needs a healthy animation environment means that there needs to be multiple studios. And they already have a project in the works called Century Goddess, a go- about and it's about a goddess who leads a revolution in a dictatorship where artists are suppressed. Maybe a little on the nose about just a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> but uh you know sound that's awesome i hope everything works out and i hope the project turns out well can't wait to see what uh what it looks like and whatnot but uh for some super awesome news for sony pictures animation matthew cherry the director of the oscar nominated uh and one winner hair love and working on that new hbo max series um I forgot what it was, what it what it was called, but uh, God, I feel terrible for saying for saying that. Uh, oh, Young Love. Yep. And and um, we'll be working on a feature film for the company called Tut about a young, well, King Tut. Um, uh, it, so it's a an Afro futuristic coming of age story of the boy king, Tutan, uh, uh Kamun. Man, yeah, the, so, the full the full name is really hard to pronounce. But uh, any besides that, good on Matthew Cherry, man. I love him. Sweet guy, lots of talent. <laughs> like, I can't wait. So, and hopefully this means people will just lay off of Sony Pictures Animation. They have made some pretty great stuff, and yet people are still gonna egg on them for the emoji movie so which wasn't even the worst animated movie of 2017 guardian oh hell no not not even by a long shot guardian brothers was a worst animated film and that's because it was chopped up by satan himself harvey weinstein so uh, anyway i I think in the next like sony animation needs like three hits in a row to completely um wash the taste of of emoji movie out of out of people's mouths but honestly after into the spider verse that that should have already been the case and and the angry birds movie too was just funny 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 man i i I still love that movie same Um, even though i i agree with all the story complaints um and then of course connected and i hope that's still coming out this year um please put it on demand sony or just delay it to january we want to see it but we're not going to a theater it's not like theaters are going to reopen up anytime soon anyway um just uh but connected looks amazing i still have the art book on pre-order so sony pictures is going places that i think disney and dreamworks and to an extent pixar are probably not going to go but hopefully they will because moving forward is the best thing animation studios can do. Exactly. So I got all the news out of the way. We are not going to have one left behind. Um, But we will now have to talk about the New York Comic-Con animation news. And there's, there's a lot of goodies. Um, I'll start, I'll start off with 
kind of continuing things that we talked about on the last episode of, of Capes, we have our first look at um, Marvel and Hulu's MODOK animated series, which is, um, it's a stop, it's, it's like a stop motion kind of in the style of, of Robot Chicken, but. Well, it's by the Robot Chicken guys, so. Oh, yeah, and uh, Pat Oswalt. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's co-created by Pat Oswalt and uh, Jordan Bloom. So, um, uh, I, well, first off, I'm so happy to see a stop motion thing and with Marvel, because it's like, I, I'm not fully fond of the animated stuff that they've made. Like as much as like, I give flack to like the DC animated stuff, at least I love that. I, I like a lot more of that stuff than the stuff Marvel puts out in the animation front. And it, all, when, it, it kind of feels like Marvel's not really trying when it comes to animation. Like they I, like yeah. like they do it more out of obligation than anything else. Yeah, and it's and it's not like they can't do anything. I know that Heroes Rising show has gotten good reviews, and I really love that early 2010s Marvel Avengers uh, with that really awesome just uh, rockin' theme song. Oh, before, Earth, My, Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Yeah. And uh, that was a great show. I'm so bummed that they canned that one to put out the one that they have right now. That's I've, I've watched that show. It's so generic and like kind of loses its identity, uh, which the other one did like had in spades. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I love Patton Oswalt. He's one of my favorite comedians and I love that he plays Modoc. It, it's like, kind of perfect casting for the kind of character modok is yeah that's that's perfect and i said i said this last week but um if john schnepp were were around he would he would have loved the series um because i know he was one of the biggest modok fans out of like anyone yeah and um and from the premise of just like him dealing with a failing company or uh well his failing company and then family life and that he has a teenage daughter that's in the full modoc motif don't know how that worked but uh maybe they won't tell us how that works um <laughs> um but i also love the voice cast with like ben schwartz and uh just, like really big a good cast um, something, something that i love is um i'm reading on wikipedia the yeah. char- um, Ben Schwartz's character wears a blue sweatshirt as a nod to Schwartz voicing characters associated with that color. You know, he's Donatello <laughs> in the in Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He's of yeah. course uh, Dewey on Ducktales, and he voiced Sonic in Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, that's funny. And um, Amy Garcia from uh, let me see, uh, is going to play uh, his wife, and then. Uh, Melissa Fumero from Brooklyn Nine-Nine is going to play the daughter. And she's great if you've seen Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And a lot of good uh, talent also with Wendy McLinden-Covey and uh, Beck Bennett and John Daly and Sam uh, Richardson. And uh, from just like a first impression off the clip I saw, it looks funny. It looks like it has a little more energy to it than the other Robot Chicken stuff or the Stupid Buddy Studios work. I love that little sequence when he hears the doorbell and he's like, I hope it's my favorite mailman. (laughs) (laughs) 
and then just like when uh his work rival brings in that horrible mute mute mutilated monstrosity and then it's just like oh gosh it's peeing what i thought what i thought was its mouth and <laughs> and then uh the whole like three million on the hover bikes for 40 million on the on the uh on this airship and then 80 million to put price tags on in the program <laughs> it looks great i i think it'll be it'll be fine it'll definitely be better than crossing swords that i'm sorry i know people worked hard on crossing swords i just did not like it um but yeah what else do we have mike would you like to uh get some zany uh stuff out of the way first i will say we'll save that um i think we'll save that for last because i want to continue talking about invincible um this is oh, another yeah. one we brought up last uh last week as well um so invincible is based off a um robert kirkman comic and this and this is going to amazon studios and the trailer honestly looks a little bit rough because it's you know a for it's still just like a first look but oh my god this cast is amazing you have stephen young who plays the main like the main character uh mark grayson jk yeah. simmons plays his father i love me um, some jk simmons and then you have sandra O oh as who i assume is um like either the mother or like a sister Deb yeah. debbie grayson and you have um, Mark Hamill, Seth uh, Rogen. Yeah, Seth Rogen plays Alien, the Alien. <laughs> uh, you Gillian, got, uh, Gillian Jacobs, yeah. uh, Andrew Ren uh, Reynolds, Zazie Beetz, Walton Goggins, our favorite comedian uh, Jason Mansukis. Woo! May Whitman, Whitman. Uh, Chris uh, Diamantopoulos, um, Carrie Payton, Zachary Quinto, uh, Melise Zhao. Kevin Michael Richardson, Greg Griffin, and I can keep going, but you get yeah, you get the idea. That's a huge cast. <laughs> like, uh, I think that sounds great to me. Uh, it looked interesting. Yeah, the the first impression was a little rough. The like, especially when the transition of flying around in space looked a little clunky. Uh, but um, I I I think it's going to be that that's a good cast and i'm looking forward to it i kind of thought amazon gave up on animation to be frank because they're like mostly focusing on the live action and then of course the huge lord of the rings uh thing that they're working on i i um, don't i don't blame you for for thinking that because um no nobody really talks about their their animated content what what little of it of it they have yeah, and I've heard some good things about a few of the shows. And then, of course, anime-wise, they brought over Vinland Saga and the uh, Dororo uh, adaptation. And I love that. I love that one. So it's like, it's weird. They're kind of in a weird spot uh, content-wise because they really like their movies and live-action stuff, but they just don't care about animation as much. So hopefully this will help. And it's probably in good company since they're probably wanting to uh, get the uh, the the boys audience. Oh, I I, I think that I think that's exactly why they're adapting this one because, um, speaking speaking of Seth Rogen, um, 
he and Evan Goldberg were trying to get a, a live action adaptation of Invincible off the ground for years. And I think it's because of the success of the boys that Amazon uh, took interest in the property. I haven't seen the boys yet, but from everything I've heard, it sounds like a show I'd like. So oh, yeah. I, I just have to find time to watch it on top of everything else and maybe show it to my family since they're not big on like very traditional superhero stuff. So I think they might like this one. They kind of like the more offbeat stuff I show them from time to time. And uh, one of the announcements that I'm excited about, Hilda season two is coming out uh, in December, 2020s. And Hilda has been one of Netflix's best animated shows. And it's, it's so charming and low key and whimsical. It's like a more low key adventure time. Huh. And it, it's so good. Like we'll definitely like when the second season releases, we'll definitely talk about uh, Hilda. Yeah, because I, I, I feel bad for like, I kind of missing out on Hilda, but you know there, there's only so many hours of the day. But I am, I'm excited to give it a shot once uh, season two rolls around. Yeah, I think you'll really like it. Now, um, I guess since. It's that time of the year. Some supernatural things are happening. And we have the ghost and Molly McGee, which we got a first preview of. And the clip that I saw and the animatic for the intro, it looks great. <laughs> this looks like it's going to be one of my favorite shows of next year, just on the premise, on the cast, and just the energy that it gives off alone in the in that clip and then the animatic man i i just uh, i watched that animatic intro maybe a little too many times <laughs> like an unhealthy amount it, it it's a, it's a great um opening to the to the series but i i i love i love the line like the line delivery of uh dana snyder at the end of the the first look yeah it just it bothers me <laughs> <laughs> and just like or like when he gets sucked out of the bath and into the room and he's like freaks out like he's naked and she's like you're not naked he's like i am emotionally naked right now <laughs> dana yeah. snyder is is so good molly, molly mcgee voiced by ashley birch an optimistic tween who lives to make the world a better place and a grumpy deep voiced ghost named scratch voiced by dana snyder whose joy comes from spreading misery. When one, it was, when one of his spells backfires, Scratch finds himself forever cursed to be in Molly's presence. So it kind of it sounds like um, the monkey paws, like the monkey's paw version of the Fairly Odd Parents, where he's, he's, he's kind of forced to be Molly's companion forever. Yeah, her, her best friend. It, it, it actually reminds me of uh, The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, except no Limbo game and whatnot. And uh, it kind of has that vibe. It, not as dark and twisted as uh, Billy and Mandy, but still has like like the visuals and whatnot. It, it looks cute and whatnot, but it's, it's probably going to go ham on some cr great visual gags and whatnot. And 
I love the like, it's like you're popular in your world, right? Oh, yes, I'm one of the most popular. Yeah, obviously. If there's a list of popular people, I was on there and it shows I'm getting kicked out of a club saying like, <laughs> <laughs> and Dana Snyder is so good. I love him. You want, everyone might know him as Master Shake from Aqua Teen Hunger Force, the, uh, the alchemist from Venture Brothers and the uh, food stall character from uh, Chowder. And he pops up everywhere else. Like in that Justice League action show, he played Plastic Man. And just put that, wrap your head around that. Dana Snyder, AKA Master Shake as Plastic Man. <laughs> uh, man, I, this show looks great. Disney is on such a winning streak with their animated shows. Like they, they're instantly going to get my attention no matter like what happens or like when they come out. Same. Like, after this year like getting to experience all of their their like newer slate of of shows i'm 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 all in on this one yeah but i guess we can't ignore it anymore man we got to talk about some animaniacs yeah i want i wanted to save this one for last because animaniacs is something special for me um same here like Tied, tied for first place with Batman the Animated Series. This is, this is the crown jewel for me. It's, it's the show I will go back to um, quite often. And they chose the perfect um, f- like first look to present at, at New York <laughs> Comic Con <laughs> with, um, with a nice uh, parody of Jurassic Park. Oh gosh, that clip is so funny. And it like it reminds me of the Looney Tunes show for HBO Max, honestly. Um it does. It has it 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 has like um a like a similar like we 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 all know that it's it's digital it's digital animation, but it like um just an aesthetic wise, they they like mimic like traditional cell animation to such a such a great uh degree and it's all the little touches in that clip all the execution stuff for the parody to work like with uh sam neill's character taking off his glasses super awkwardly (laughs) and uh and then the whole scene where you see jeff goldblum in the back and he puts his hand on the jeep driver and then the jeep driver just pushes his hand off (laughs) like and yeah, it, you don't see the the Warner siblings don't talk a whole lot, but that first scene where you see him gallivanting through the field, it's like perfect. And I know a lot of people got worried when the showrunners were uh, like one of them worked on Family Guy and whatnot. It's come to my attention that it's like you kind of had to push that thought to the side because Family Guy it's just so in its way what right now. Like, I don't blame anyone who can't really make that show work anymore. And here it's like, you could tell that they really love this show just from that one clip. It has all the energy that you could want from an Animaniacs reboot. And it's just funny. It was just so funny. And I don't know if they got Spielberg to cameo as himself or not. It's, it was, it was really hard to tell, um, because if if it was if it was him, then I it's always just fun to see him popping up in Animaniacs and Tiny Toons. But if it wasn't him, 
then that is a great impressionist. Yeah. And I think they actually got Sam Neill and uh, Laura Dern as their characters from Jurassic Park. And, oh, um, I mean, there's just not much else to say. That one clip and then just like everyone sounding like they had a great time working on it. Um, because this is a special show. This is one of those like shows that if you're going to readapt it, continue it, reboot it, remake it, what have you, you have to be careful. Like really, really, really careful. Because if you do not make this show work, you are just going to get the hate storm of a century. I mean, that's what happened with the Powerpuff Girls reboots. And, um, yeah. So, and I know uh, it kind of went around the net that in one of in uh, one of the Facebook animation groups, uh, the cr- original creator of the show uh, blasted the show be- and the people working on it because you know they I, apparently they weren't told exactly that they were doing this and uh, what i mean what do you think like do you think they have a right to be mad or do you think it's just kind of like let let's see what how the show goes and whatnot i'll 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 say this i i sympathize um with the original creators um for feeling left out that they that they weren't involved in bringing the um this revival to life However, at least, at least they have the voice cast back together. So even, even if this, even if this show is terrible or like may not live quite up to the standards of the original, at least having the original voice cast there will, will do enough to, um, It'll make the show feel watchable at the very least. I don't think they would have signed on if uh, this didn't have promise. It, yeah. See, exact, exactly. That's because, that's yeah. why I that's why I put my I put my faith in the in the new showrunners. And if if you watch the the um, the Comic Con panel and you got to like actually hear them talk about about the show. It, it will help. It'll help you get more um, excited. Yeah, and I, I don't want people to be like, well, they're just being nice because it's a job. It's like, come on, people. I Like, if being nice is such a task for you, you're probably not that great of a person. <laughs> but I, I can't wait. It looks great. I hope it's great. I mean, Animaniacs was kind of ahead of its time in terms of comedy. Oh, so de- it's oh like, definitely. So it's going to be interesting to see how well it fits into the current uh, world of animation. Like I don't, I think it'll probably fit perfectly in, but I mean, even back, but people need to remember even back then for shows like Batman, the animated series and Animaniacs, excuse me. Um, they still have to go by limitations and regulations and whatnot. Now that they're on Hulu, they could probably go as far as they want to. And so I'm looking forward to it. I think it deserves all the support. It like to at least wait for it to release and whatnot, you know? Um, is there, are there any other stuff you want to talk about or should we just head on into everything else? 
I think I'm ready to get on with the, uh, the review uh, section. Alrighty, I think let's do it then. Um, so we're going to talk about first the Doro Hidoro OVA. And for some context, these were five-minute shorts that were made for the Blu-ray release in Japan. Uh, Netflix has translated them and combined them into one 30-minute OVA. Um, because it was never meant to be like an extra episode. They were just like little side stories that had basically the budget just to do really nice animatics and to tell like little, like I said, little side stories, like how uh, Nikaido started her uh, gyoza shop or uh, like another story between um, the two cleaners that work for, for Ian or like uh, where uh, Kaiman got his love for gyoza. And then like what makes gyoza so delicious with the gyoza fairy <laughs> um i i'm a little bummed it's not a uh new uh season but studio mappa is super busy right now they have uh you know jujutsu kaisen and the gymnastic samurai right now so we're we're probably not going to get a second season until like maybe next year yeah um, i i the the show kind of looks expensive um in in terms of it's like um character designs so i don't i don't mind i don't mind waiting for a second season especially if the studio is busy working on other stuff yeah and i'll, I'll talk more a little i'll talk a little bit more uh about the uh jujutsu kaisen later uh later for recommendations but uh it's it's a good show um and i know a lot of people gave doro hidoro flack because of the whole uh it's cgi why isn't it 2d this show and world is in the visuals are way too detailed to make just pure 2d i think if they went the 2d route they would have got, ended up with a baki look and baki is just a whole hot mess of a visual look so and it probably should have went. It, it it was smart for the show to go uh, CGI route. Yeah, I think I think the the combination of um, CG and and two D animation make the world look very unique. Yeah, and in terms of just overall like little extras, I thought the Doro Hidoro OVA was pretty cute. I I I enjoyed the little stories. Yeah, I don't I don't really have much much to add. I they like these stories were nice. I think I think my favorite was. Um, the one, the one with uh, Kaiman and and Nikaido, and and how they made their uh... gyoza. Yeah, yeah, that was very cute. I, I kind of liked them all. I love the gyoza fairy <laughs> episode, and I thought it was just a laugh riot when they're just like, ah, yes, you are enjoying it. How they should do not watch TV or let them cool down. And then he would throw like little toothpicks at the at people, <laughs> and then uh it, it was just cute and like i said the the animation's not really all there it's like i said just kind of super fancy animatics so it's of course everything looks a little stiff and but it's the posing and expressions of everyone makes it like makes up for that fact you can get away with clunkier animation if the posing and expressions are spot on 
and due to the weird world of Dodo he Dodo, it it all mixes well. And I also like the one where uh, Shin remembers the whole ritualistic mask dance. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, yes, if I didn't know all the information about this OVA already, I would have been super disappointed. But due to how much I just love the characters and just the chemistry between everyone, it's just, I was just happy to be back in the world of Dorohi Doro. Same. This is one of those series where, like, if, if, we're not, if we're not as busy with content, I would, I would definitely go back in and rewatch the first season because of, because of how different and unique it was. Yeah, it's, it's just such a good series. And we, we haven't really decided if we're going to add the anime we've watched to our, like, worst to best uh, list of cartoons for 2020. We might just for the sake of this, this year, since we started late on talking about anime. But uh, I think Dodo Hidoro would be kind of fighting with Kipo as like the best cartoon that I've seen this year. Speaking of which, how funny is it that that um, this is the second episode where we've combined Dorohi Doro and Kipo? <laughs> yeah, it, that's so it's so funny. It just it just happened, you know. It just happens. And um, but yeah, if you want. Just a little more extra joy from the world of Doro Hidoro. Definitely watch the OVA, but you're not missing much. But I, I, I'd say watch it. Yeah, if, if, if nothing else, it's, it's a nice uh, appetizer while you wait for season two. Yeah, but now we'll uh, move on ahead with the second half of the first season of The Fungies. One of the oh. surprise hits for at least for us of HBO Max and Cartoon Network for 2020. So I think we both have talked to each other about this. We think the second half is miles better than the first half. And that's not not that's not a bad thing. The first half was really funny and really amusing and entertaining. It's just now it's hit its stride. Yeah, I th- I think the second half of the first season is when we start to get some of the stronger episodes. And to be to be clear, we st- we still both really enjoyed the first half, but I have I have more of my favorite episodes from uh season 1B and not just because we get to see more of uh of Commander Beefy. <laughs> yeah, no, um I think the stories are better this time around and they are, I mean, some of them are a little like goofy and wacky and whatnot, but I think like, there's definitely like a little more to them substance wise. And like, so we have like 20 new episodes and we, we get it. They branch out the world a little more. We get some more times with uh, Seth, like hanging out with not just uh, Pascal, he get like he gets he ends up with like a bunch of other characters that would otherwise be kind of grouped in with everyone else. And then we get introduced to like Commander Beefy, who is like the best character of the show. Uh-huh. And like his friends, like the zookeeper who's voiced by John DiMaggio. And uh and then it's like a lot more touching. I mean, like, okay, let's start with uh like what what was like one of the first things you noticed? like in terms of change and improvements over uh, I don't I don't know if it's the, necessarily the, an improve an improvement but I've noticed that Nancy 
the the mother of Seth and Pascal and the twins. Um, <laughs> like Nancy, Nancy gets more screen time, and I didn't realize she was voiced by Jennifer Coolidge. That that's kind of great. Yeah, no, she does a great job as the mom. And uh, Chris Diamtopoulos, you know, as Commander Beefy is great. And I have to say, I think one of my favorite episodes is, uh, let's see, where is it? Uh, Commander Laser, where we get introduced to Beefy's sister, Commander Laser, who's voiced by Tig Notaro. And I think this one might be my favorite episode. Just because it ha- it hits a story beat that hits really close to me because I have a twin sister and there were moments where it's like, and like she's an artist and she's gotten her artwork shown around uh, Austin uh, where I live. And there were points like before now where I've kind of felt like Commander Beefy, kind of unaccomplished, very down and it was just a really touching episode. And I, I, I love that we get to watch shows like this that like as weird and absurd as fungies is it it has human elements to it yeah so, something i said on on twitter that the creator even responded to um i i pointed out the the show's balance between entertainment and education because may, maybe maybe i was a little bit more attentive watching these episodes but i i really noticed that this show would would fit in perfectly with shows in like the from like the 80s and 90s like we like we we the last time we talked about the show we talked about um influence of the store like um the smurfs the snorks um yeah other other shows of like of like that caliber yeah and it's I, I just like that they take these absurd premises and then adds like a really cool little moral and like you said in your little facebook comments they yeah they don't hit you over the head with the moral which i think is was kind of the issue with tig and seek even if that show is kind of trolling that whole story beat like uh for example i like the dino club episode where everybody <laughs> becomes dinosaurs it's like it is about like they get to do what they want as dinosaurs but then it's like pam comes in and talk like says like hey it like i know you like doing what i do but i do it to survive and other means and such so it's like it's and that they just kind of realize like oh we're just being punks there's like a lot of good stuff like that like treehouse deals with uh sir stump or what's his name tree yeah sir tree uh, feels abandoned and alone because he's stuck up at the middle at the you know the the gorge where the fungies live and he also has to stay there because you know his roots hold everything together <laughs> and um but I also like that they kind of like reintroduce characters like the uh they bring back the crabs from the from the beach episode oh yeah i I forgot about that episode until until they showed up again. <laughs> Yeah, and um, and then I also dug the uh, the Pam runs forever episode where they bring in a a uh, like a Japan like a mix of Usain Bolt and a Japanese superhero named Insane Jolt, <laughs> <laughs> who's uh, voiced by the guy who created OKKO, OK by the way. Um, 
and like that's another thing i think the voice cat like i like the little additions to the voice cast like in fungopolis the last remaining citizen of fungopolis is voiced by brian doyle murray who uh you know is bill murray's brother and you would know him as captain knuckles from the misadventures of flapjack and he was like the mayor in uh groundhog day oh yeah and like our fun radio uh i think that might be my favorite episode oh gosh i i loved all the little story uh sections that they would do for the radio uh, station i would listen to pam asks why like (laughs) it really cuts to the truth yeah (laughs) that was probably my favorite bit where she just keeps asking the guy and the guy gets pressured and freaks out and she's like why I don't know, man. Why? I don't know. And then one of the fungies in, in the diner is like, they really get to the truth. <laughs> and uh, and by the way, I think Neville is a little more thirsty for lemon in these second batch of episodes than in the first one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's hard to tell whether, whether or not they're like, they're like actually a couple or or they're just madly in love with, with each other. Yeah, or they're just like super close, like platonic friends, which, hey, that wouldn't be a bad bad thing to do either. Um, but though, I wouldn't be shocked if they were a couple. Because, you know, we, we again, past, we live in an age post-Gravity Falls and Adventure Time. We can let that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of my other favorite episodes, just in terms of tone and absurdity, is Nancy's Fireman Calendar. <laughs> Because it finally makes fun of those uh, firemen calendars where, you know, of course, it's like, these are the brave firemen who, wor- who work hard to prevent forest fires, but they also are, like, super jacked. <laughs> yep. And seeing, like, all the uh, the shapes and sizes and whatnot of them, like, there's just a lot to like about this. Um, another one of my batch. favorite episodes is, is Long Legs, where everyone is, everyone is basically fighting... It, it's it's a it's a it's a fight for power but the power is legs <laughs> got legs for days man <laughs> and um yeah and like i said it's like seth gets with the mayor's daughter and the uh reporter's daughter this time and i say that like phrasing um uh, no, it, like I said, Seth hangs out with like more than just Pascal and whatnot. Like sometimes he'll get paired up with like uh, Neville and Lemon, and that one with the horns. Like when they go to Fungopolis and uh, or then like the Where's Coach episode. Uh, she he gets paired up with like the sports savvy, uh, fungi kid. So yeah. no, it, it's just like I I just love the world that they keep building upon in this show and it's starting to hit its stride a little faster than i think most shows are were doing back then and i like that it's just, it kind of knows what it wants to be like right here right now and uh, like do you have any other favorite episodes I, i'm trying i'm trying to think because all all of them have something something unique about them um i'll i'll, I'll mention two more um lil, lil lemon for president i think is timely because we're like a few weeks away from the election but i i also think like like this is just a great episode to introduce um like young audiences to like the basics of politics and yeah 
and what it takes to run a successful campaign. Even though Lemon and the the mayor's daughter lose out to a motorcycle in the end. (laughs) (laughs) I bet that that gag killed me. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, I I love the gag when he get like it's like tell the press that I got myself a motorcycle. Why, yes, I'm going through a midlife crisis. <laughs> I, and I, I, I love that the, the mayor's daughter is basically do, like doing half of the things that she does just to screw with him. <laughs> like, she's just kind of a troll. And again, the, the show has such witty writing. Like, I love the Fungi Scouts episode where uh, Seth is like, hey, everyone, thanks for coming. So it's, a, it's a great uh, li- lineup. Well, you did send us cards that said join or die. That's a bit dramatic, Seth. <laughs> oh, God. Man, S- Stephen P-, P. Neary has just made a wildly charming show. <laughs> he has. Um, I forgot to sm- my, my other favorite episode is um, Low Clawly Caper, which is oh, yeah. basically their their version of a whodunit. Oh, yeah. And the... Uh, Lord Clawley is voiced by Phil Lamar, by the way. Oh, that's who Phil Lamar plays. Yeah, and it's a much different voice than what he normally uses. So it took me a second to realize that was him. And... Yeah, because I was I was trying to I was trying to think back like like who who like who was he in in this season? And I get I guess the more like if you listen closely, yeah, Phil Lamar does a really great job like becoming this character. Yeah, and I, I just love when he's like, hello, kids, I'm going to teach you all about feudalism. And then sends out two of his uh, knights to fight each other for the kids. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, really, we, we've said a lot of our stuff back in the when we talked about the first half. Like, it's just a fun, quirky, absurd, low-key show that's just a, like, a, like you said, a good Sunday or weekend chill show to watch. Yeah, this is one of those shows that I I could I could pluck out like random episodes and and watch at any time. It's it's I I, I know continuity driven shows are on vogue over the past decade, but there's still room at the table for like a good classic um, episodic series like this one. I I guess people think like just because it's episodic, it means like there's not there's not going to be substance to it. This show is just so misleading with how much substance there actually is. Like, um, oh, what was the episode? Oh, what about Cool James? Like, you think it's just about like, oh man, I want attention and now this guy's taking all the attention away. And then it kind of hits a real hard note. It's just like, I know I need attention, but I also need to give everyone else attention in my family. And like, just good on this show for just like, being called the fungies and just dealing with human topics even though there's nothing human about anyone in this show (laughs) i i think i think that's why this show works as well as it does because like the world is unique enough that like the show can have its own identity but it's the substance that steven neary and his crew keeps keeps nice and grounded like it's it's that combination that makes the show special, and eventually this will stand the test of time. Yeah, and it like I said, they just do they just improve on everything that the first half did, and the first half was already good. Like, I like 
ah man there's just a whole lot like i loved like the little sequence of uh the manager there uh it's just like well you know just as long as we got enough food to feed the eels for a year we'll be fine uh and then it cuts down being like well i'm disappointed bye (laughs) (laughs) and then you find out uh or like uh the where is coach at the end where they're like so uh how did you guys know i had so many kazoos oh we rifled through your place and found it found them oh is that all you found? <laughs> oh. I, I love the way they end each episode on like a, on like a really, um, like a really off kilter uh, button. Yeah, very. Well, I I love uh, in Pam's runs forever. Just Commander Beefy being Commander Beefy, the venture capitalist that he is. It's like, oh, I'm in debt because pe- a few people got mutated by my new energy drink should i be the one to blame if nobody can read <laughs> it's just like like radioactive drink and it's just like please don't drink <laughs> right under it and then he pours it on his uh insane jolt and then he mutates and he's like all oh, right the mutation <laughs> like the poor guy just got mutated into a giant purple rock and he's like oh right <laughs> well I have to say, I we're still going. I'm still working on my top ten, top five shows. I think the Fungies has now entered the top five. Yeah, I I have I have to agree because I I had a lot of fun watching the second half of the season, and I hope I hope there's there's more to this because because the show just has such a fun laid back energy but it's also not afraid to cut deep when the opportunity presents itself. Oh gosh. Yeah. Now just watch the show. I, I want to see more of this show and I hope there's more. I, I, I know close enough got renewed and we're still kind of hoping that infinity train gets renewed. Um, but also like keep support the fungies. Don't let it die out on the streaming service. Yes, please, please give this one all your support. Yeah, just just watch it. I know, I know a lot of people will probably dig this one. Just just sit through it for a couple episodes and see what and see how you feel then. But I, I bet I I hope this one gets a huge following. It it's just great. But I think it's time now to move on to the best cartoon of 2020. Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts. First off, it's super unfair that I like our favorite show of 2020 or at least new cartoon of 2020 had its entire run in one year. <laughs> that it all it almost never happens for a show that lasts more than than one season. Yeah, and it's like we did, we've talked about in the past about DreamWorks and Netflix's weird release strategy of like just doing a bunch of episodes and then chopping them up into multiple seasons that they release pretty frequently. Like maybe every few months they'll release like a new season of this and that. And, but Kippo had its entire 30 episode run. And yeah, <laughs> I mean, I know we gushed about it the first time we talked about it but we're gonna keep gushing about it because it's it it is just the best cartoon of 
2020. And even with, even if we only got the first or second or the first and second season of this year, it'd still probably be number one. Yeah, I, I, I agree. So just a quick catch up, you know, like Kipo lives in this post-apocalyptic world full of giant mutants called mutes and it searches for her father and ends up uh, recruiting some friends like Wolf, uh, let's see, sorry, Benson and uh, Dave, a talking bug, to at first stop uh, a mandrel who has mind control powers named Scarlamange, voiced by Dan Stevens. But as the season, the second season closed, Scarlamange is defeated, is arrested, but we have a new villain named Dr. Amelia, who wants to rid the world of mutes and quote-unquote cure them. And she is voiced by Amy Landecker. So it's up to Kippo to unite the mutes to take down or find a way to stop Amelia. This was a good third season. Yeah. Like, yeah, just like, just hands down. It progresses the story more. It gives it gives us time to see more of the characters expands on them. And like, since uh, like one of the things that we got to do, what was uh, see uh, Kipo's mom, who was the giant mega ape from, sorry, spoilers ahead. Um, who was the mega ape from uh, season one and two is actually cured. She gets to actually return to her human form. And another thing we get to see that I think was really fun was to see Scarlamange as a like pseudo, maybe not trustworthy uh, ally. But uh, but he ends up being like probably one of the best additions to the main uh, like protagonists, just because it's it's interesting to see him like he had all this power and then he's now rock bottom, but they don't kill him and what, or cure, let him get cured. He, they give him a lot of trust to be like, listen, I know you were kind of screwed over and you did a lot of bad things, but I know you're sorry. And at first you think he's not. And at first he's not, he wants to escape and reclaim his empire. But of course that doesn't happen. And but we get to see a more, pardon the pun, human side to Scarlamange. Scarlamange's redemption arc is not necessarily the best that I've seen, but it it works it works for his character, and it works that Kipo specifically is the one who helps him along on his on his journey because you know it's. It's Kipo's parents who raised him until, until you know, Doctor Amelia started screwing things, screwing things up, which kind of causes Hugo to, you know, turn evil. Yeah, and um, this show, get, I mean, this final episode, a season gets dark. Like, while you don't see a whole lot of death, the cure even in just in that world context is scary because and we'll be talking about spoilers here on out. So if you haven't seen the third season, like pause this episode and watch it right now. 
and because we're going to talk about some spoiler bits. Our favorite Lumbercat leader, Yum Yan Hammerpaw, doesn't make it. <laughs> I think that was the first real, like, like identity of, like, the, the, the threat of Amelia and the cure. Yep. Was that they took they took down the the mighty and powerful Yum Yan Hammerpaw. That, that's, that really that's cool. when you know that um, Dr. Amelia means business. Yeah, and it was really sad. Sad, like I, I was, I, I, I'm not gonna say I cried, but I was really bummed out that he didn't make it, or there was like no vaccination and whatnot for him to turn back into a mute. And that happens to a lot of people. Unfortunately, uh, Bad Billions, uh, who was voiced by GZA, uh, gets um, gets cured. Well cured in the worst way possible by turning back into a wolf the uh, snake voiced by joan jett camille gets uh well cured like it gets intense and another little story beat i like they uh walked back to was the one for wolf and her uh adopted sister yeah that that was a, that was a um an interesting episode i I had a feeling it, it was going to end in, it was going to have a not happy ending because, you know, it, it's just kind of par for the course with Wolf that somehow it's going to end in betrayal. Yeah, no, it's, it was a, I, I just like that they turned back to it. And then I'm, <laughs> I felt so bad for what happens to her and her brother. They basically get a Shang Tsung, um, who was the villain in Mulan, the animated one? Um, what was this like? Saint uh, Shang Tsung, something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, like when he that scene where he lets the imperial soldiers go, and he's just like, "How many soldiers does it take to deliver a message?" And then you see his henchman go one, so you know he killed one of them. I got that same feeling here because, like, you could tell one or both her the dot the uh, wolf girl and her brother were going to get turned back into wolves and. That's what happens. Golly. And there are a few things I forgot to mention last time that I wanted to bring up. Can I just like, just to bring some relief to the sadness of people being cured in the most twisted way possible. Can I just say how great the theaters were? Yes. So from the second season, we were introduced to a, a traveling group of uh, musicians and theater people uh, otters known as the theatas um with their leader puck voiced by john lavelle uh, lavelle um and they go around in the third season hoping to uh, get everyone and i just love the whole like rock opera sound of their like performances and oh man it it i i just love those little characters and i love the goat sisters the ones who uh tell oh, the future but, but the uh the cheese yeah <laughs> yeah the they tell the world and the future through cheese and their chant is just full of just different kinds of cheese like i get i just love this world that they built it's so different from most post-apocalyptic worlds that they make and yeah it's 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 a kind of rainbow colored um 
and I mean that in every sense of the word, um, a, like post-apocalyptic world. And I kind of wanted, well, and of course we can't talk about this without bringing up the K-pop narwhals, <laughs> which that, that's just funny. I just thought that that just that combination was hilarious. And even though uh, K- Kipo's friend just keeps calling them dolphin unicorns. I mean, that's are, what, are they are they voiced by BTS? I'm not sure. I didn't. I couldn't catch their uh, voice actors. And but I would not be shocked if that was the case. We might have to look that up and then like talk about it at a later date. Um, but I wouldn't be shocked. And man, I mean, like, what what were your favorite things about this season? Like, what did you like? I I liked the episode um requiem for a dave where where you know keep kipo is on a mission to stop dr amelia and and sink the boat but everyone agrees that's a bad idea um so to drive this message home dave goes on a ridiculously long um diatribe about about the war between the humans and the mutes over a fan. <laughs> yeah. But I, first of all, I, because it's Dave, I love how ridiculous the whole, just the whole story is how li- literally their war is over a fan. Yeah. <laughs> but, and, but, and I th- th- but I think the, the sweet thing about it is that the story ends with dave meeting benson yeah um yeah yeah it's their first uh meeting and then it's just like when, when they both end up falling into their own net traps and it's just like he dave finds out that benson's the last of the uh quote-unquote fanatics <laughs> and i love the little punchline of like you find out that the humans that chase after them were the ancestors of the ones that encountered dave long ago yep because dave is supposedly immortal even though there is a way to kill him but they don't say it they cut off like right before he's about to reveal what you have to do and this this show just knows how to balance laughs action story and like soul and it's just so good and at first i was kind of put off by the art style but now it's like I love how the show looks and it doesn't stop with the third season. And I guess let's talk about Dr. Amelia. Basically the, like, I want to use eugenics to wipe out a race of people I don't like. So yikes on that front because big, big, big yikes. Yeah. Because that's what happens when a mute is shot with one of her cure darts uh, except for Kipo, because Kipo was part of the reason, the uh, mixture to make the cure. They turn back into normal animals. Apparently, they know enough of who, like, the other mutes are. And, like, they take a very dark turn with Amelia. They branch her out enough for her to be a complex villain, but just enough to not feel bad when what happens with her. Because you do find out that, like, she because of her dad she's so hell-bent on bringing the humans back on top and when she goes up there with her i think brother yeah that's that's her brother 
um, and the brother ends up going <laughs> going to the rat world, which I still want to go to that place. I would love to go to the rat world. And he finds out, and she tells her, like, the mutes aren't all bad up here. Like, yeah, I, we should just tell everyone that. She ends up killing him off screen, but of course she uh, spins it like, oh my gosh, the mutes killed my brother. I think, like, I think in... It, that that's the like that's the part of that episode where I immediately stopped feeling sorry for for her because at first at first I thought at first I thought like um like Amelia and her brother were were you know we're gonna be faced with like some traumatizing experience but liter- literally she's the one who kills her brother in almost in almost a similar fashion to like um simon killing tuba because like he's so he's so like he he's gone too far into his belief that like nothing can change his mind Mm -hmm. you know it's really dark and it's it is like it's it is like full stop she's a terror she there's no redeeming her and the fact that she's just like so like just rude and terrible to her to the humans that are trying to help her like uh like uh zane who ends up befriending one of the workout raccoons um and by the way zane is voiced by carlos alas rocky who you might know as rocco from rocco's modern life and uh and and mr crocker from fairly odd parents yeah and um you would also know him on like Reno 911 and he's such a cool guy. And he was like the lead for a ricochet in the first season of Mucha Lucha. This guy's everywhere. I love him. Um, and like, he, he says like, they're not bad. Just chill. Like maybe we could just work on something. And it, then she, I thought she was going to shoot him <laughs> like to be Frank. Cause he, like he ends up getting captured and then befriends the mutes and, it's kind of interesting to show just like how hate uh, breeds hate because it's like the ones who stay hateful are like Dr. Amelia and her henchman Greta, who is also kind of a delight with some of the funnier lines. <laughs> like uh, I love when they capture Greta and then she's like, you may have caught me, but I'm no dummy. You may know our plans, but I'm no dummy. And then Scarlet Mage is like, Oh, there she goes again. There she goes back to being dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I will say, like, just out of the characters that we see in season three, I'm a little disappointed that Jamak gets kind of the uh, the back seat out of the mutes because I, I remember we talked about him and he was like actually one of the more complex elements of the show. Yeah, I, I, it's. <sighs> it's here's the thing yes it's disappointing that we didn't get to see as like as much jamak but between him and scarlamane um it's i i don't i don't know if it's a complete like if it's completely a fair trade-off but if 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 we didn't get to see more scarlamane then not seeing more jamak would would have been a bigger deal i just love that he joins the theaters <laughs> like, yeah that's 
that that's something that I I really liked. And then in the end, he turns into like a taxi driver or a bus driver. And <laughs> I mean, we'll talk about the ending in a little bit because I I just love the ending, like on the same level as like Japan sinks, um, with its ending, um. But yeah, and, I, and the action is still really good and amusing. And they, uh, I like that they like they pair different characters up together. Like I like seeing Dave and uh, Kipo's father. Yeah, seeing uh, seeing Dave and Leo partying all night is is something I never, I didn't even know I wanted. And I love that you find out that the way the Timbercats do a high five is they hold up their axe, <laughs> and. Luckily, something that we kind of complained about with the second season, we got to see uh, uh, Troy with uh, uh, with Benson a little more. And while it's still kind of played in the background, they do show them more as a couple, which I which I liked. I because I thought that like that was kind of one of the things from season two that I was kind of disappointed by. Yeah, we because... we, we didn't see enough of uh, of Troy, but this time he's like helping them on their adventures uh you know making, he, making he can food. he can pick locks he can you know he yeah. can be there for emotional support yeah which is kind of a shame since the two other girls that you uh meet troy with uh asher and uh dahlia they kind of take a backseat too which i was a little disappointed by uh because like i said i love asher who's voiced by Rhea butcher who i just think is very funny and um but it's just like, man, the show is so good and just how it deals with like discrimination and just like dealing with tough situations. Since we do get the return of our favorite water bear, um, oh, what's his name? Oh, yeah, Tad, uh, Todd Muholland, who is, by the way, voiced by Michael Leon Woodley, who you might know as the alligator from Princess and the Frog. And oh, oh wow. Yeah. I, I, I didn't I didn't realize that until I, I started listening to his voice more. But yeah. Yeah, no, um he like he's great and I love that he like I love his little gimmick of like pushing himself back up someone's nose to get his hat, even though he's a being made of pure water. <laughs> and by the way, also uh Betsy Sodaro, who's in Glitch Tech in Duncanville is uh label the uh war- the jazzercising raccoon she uh she's great and i just love her interaction with zane and um i mean do you have any other favorite like character dynamics that you've seen um i i like i i like the relationship between um dog and the k-pop narwhals <laughs> i'm still not getting over that and right? um it, no, it's just such a funny combination, and I loved when we got to see the billion wolves again, and you see oh, yeah. one, of, when, and when you get to see uh, bad billions spinning around, and then you see good billions be like, he thinks there's dark matter in these moon rocks, even though he's just kind of mad and <laughs> kind of annoyed with him, and uh, I love when they encounter the uh, the humming bombers, oh yeah, who are sad about their uh, cohort who got captured, and they're just like man just let us be but with us throwing our bombs into the forest <laughs> i i i love the run like the running gag in i i think it was like either episode two or episode three where it's like we need to rescue our friends and boom boom yeah <laughs> it's like we gotta get everyone out of there 
and boom, boom, and boom, boom. <laughs> oh, and we had to say, like, just how terrible of a person Dr. Amelia was. I guess we'll, like, talk now about the finale. She's a raging hypocrite because she finds out that her cure is not going to work on Kipo. And she knows that, like, they're not going to be able to make as much of the cure. So she ends up uh, taking down a, a two-headed walrus mute and ends up injecting herself with the, with the mutagen, turning herself into a mute to try and take down Kipo. Which, you know, she's a terrible person. Of course she won't stand by her crooked rules and ways. Plus, they, they need to have a final battle, and this, this, this was the vessel to do so. Yeah, no, it was a good final fight. Um, very intense, and I love that everyone came together because in this world, in the world we live in right now, we all need to work together to stop everything. And like, I, I and I love the like the inner like workings of like when you're a mute inside of like or like a human inside their mute body, where it's like you have to have an anchor or else you won't come back. I, I yes. just thought that was a very cool visualization of them like in a water that gets like a, a pool that gets like deeper and deeper the more you lose yourself. And uh, this and this show just um the visual aesthetic of the show just it's just great. And we also get to see the return. Uh, well, I'll talk about this little detail after we finish up the finale. What did you think of the final fate of Dr. Amelia? It's it's fitting. Yeah. Like, so what happened? Yeah, uh, um, I'll. Uh, okay. So what what hap what happens is after after the battle, like, and after she gets cured, she she ends up getting trapped by uh the fungus. Yeah. The uh, who wa see. who wants who wants to be her best friend forever. Yeah, that's twisted. I mean, it's not as graphic as as. Uh, Simon and Infinity Train turning the dust, but there's a worse fate than being controlled by a mind control fungus. And you don't see her in the end. They don't cut back to her later on in the finale. Yeah, she just she just gets absorbed, and that's the end. Yeah, <laughs> really dark, but I love it. It's man, it's like I know again, like I know like Avatar kept the villain alive at the end, but he still had a really righteous punishment happen to him with his air bit, his bending getting taken from him. You know, it's like, it's okay to like really defang or downright kill your villain. Like, especially if they're not going to be, there's no like area of no return for them as humans and whatnot, you know? Yeah. I, I think depowering them is actually kind of more, a more effective punishment than death. Because killing your villains in a series finale when you know there's no return, like death for some people is considered like a release. So being 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 kept alive is um, in in storytelling. It's it's sort of the symbolic representation of like you've done some bad shit and now you have to live with your with your mistakes. Yeah, yeah. No, I. I and I really love the ending where they time travel, like they fast forward through into the future where everything is just great. 
And first off, I love Kipo's older design. Like, not her, like, old design, but, like, when she's older, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Her, like, her uh, fu- her future look is amazing. Yeah, she she looks like a punk rock uh, individual. And I just love that she's talking, like, you don't know who she's talking to. And you find out that, like, in the bat- the final battle, Scarlet Mage sacrifices himself. Maybe not the best, like, sacrifice, like, final blow and whatnot but uh it was super touching to finally to see him at get a statue even though he was no longer with them and such i i just love that whole ending and the music that plays uh with it and whatnot just the whole mix of just like everyone's living together the world is rebuilding itself it reminds me like i said it reminds me a lot of japan sinks like in that regards it's like no matter how bad things get, we can rebuild it. We can make the world better if we just, you know, don't repeat what we do, what we've done in the past and whatnot. Yeah, I I, I love when post-apocalyptic movies or TV shows end on a happy note, on an optimistic note like that. Yeah, I mean, like, there's nothing wrong with ending on a cynical or darker note, but for a show like this, I was glad it had a happier ending than what happens because this, this was already an, an an upbeat take on take on the genre so it it makes sense to have an upbeat ending yeah and um i guess like i don't really have that many complaints or like any real issues outside of like n- not seeing enough of certain side characters and not just like jamak but like i said the two girls I loved seeing the uh, the treasure squirrels. <laughs> um, I-, I was kind of hoping we'd see a few more mutes, but I know this was only going to be a thirty minute, uh, thirty episode long show, so they did what they could. I just want, I just love the world. I I wouldn't mind if they were given the opportunity to make more episodes, like with maybe a si- like taking place in a different part of the world that Kipo lives in. Uh, would you be Would you be down for that, or do you think? the 30 episodes they have is good enough. I, th- I think for the, for the story that they told, this 30 episode run is, is like perfect for what it is. That being said, if, if they either make a spinoff or, or like even like an anthology series like that like fills in the five year gap or something, just, like just as an excuse to tell more stories i'd be okay with that i like because that's really that's really my only complaint like i th- like i love it the way it is but i also want more because i love it yeah same here and i like do you have a favorite moment from this season um uh besides besides the the requiem for a dave episode it's it's little it's little moments like all like the children of all the mutes like playing with each other and getting along and how that even ties into Scarlamane's redemption cuz like you like you you see when you see when you see Scarlamane kind of playing with the kids mm-hmm. that that's when it becomes clear okay mm-hmm. so he can be redeemed 
it, it's just because he he lost his mistrust and such. He wasn't like he wasn't a Amelia. He was just a being who was abused through science and wanted to get back at the humans for the abuse. And it, it's like he he's such a great villain. Care or I guess anti-hero now. I guess or how would you describe describe him now that we've seen the whole series? Is he a full-on villain still, or is he just like a? Uh, no, he's um. In, in season three, he's an anti-hero for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, although I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Um, I think Dr. Amelia, be, because, because she's less redeemable, I also think just may, may, maybe it's not fair because she only really got like the one season to really be the villain. But I just think um, Scarlamane was more interesting and had the more the more compelling backstory yeah no it's uh keep uh amelia just gets the like kind of racism angle of just like she she was brought up by a very hateful individual her aka her dad and just she like and like simon from infinity train she got stuck in her ways but yeah no she's not as complex of a character as uh scarlet mange but I do love Scarlmange's arc, and I love like the little sequences, like when he gets fed, like he gets kind of annoyed that they keep serving him pancakes. <laughs> and he's like, "You live in a forest, bugs, fruits, something else." And then when they take down those big mutated crabs, he's just like, "I don't like seafood. The smell gets to me." And especially if you've been to a like a theater that serves seafood, like. Like kind of like at like an Alamo Draft House or whatnot. The seafood dishes always stink up the theater room. It's not pleasant. <laughs> um, even though they can be good, but um, I would say my favorite scene is the sequence where uh, they have to deal with the dubstep bees. Oh yeah, and and you see, you see like the da- like the dance sequence. Yeah, it just it was just such a wholesome sequence and seeing Kipo's family work together to make sure Kipo doesn't dance to death. <laughs> I think that was what... a great a great sequence for Song because she's spent 13 years as the mega monkey so she's she has to like kind of like readjust to being a human. So give, giving her giving her this moment to shine is is really important. Yeah, I'm so glad that they gave her more to do instead of just putting her in the background after curing her. Um, but yeah, if anybody's curious about that song, it's actually a song called Sugar by My Bad and Sam Gray. It's on iTunes. I actually downloaded the song today and I listened to it while I was at work, like, I don't know, 10 times. It just put me in a good mood. But man, Kippo and the Age of Wonder Beasts, there's not going to be a show that's going to top it this year. It's, and it, of course, again, like we said, it's just jokingly, it's not fair that it had to, it got to do its entire run in one year, but I just don't think there's been a more perfect show. Like even with the gripes and nitpicks aside. Yeah. I I, I think like um, in, in, in terms of like, ranking each se- each like individual season this kind of reminds me of how to how to train your dragon where 
three, like three is not quite as good as one and two, but all three of them together are kind of the perfect trilogy. Yeah. DreamWorks is and, good at that. Yeah, they are. And that, and that's how I feel about, about this series. I think season two is the, it's, it's the better one of the three, but season three has, has a terrific ending. Like, that wraps up the entire series. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, and at least Kipo got the end, end on a high note. We don't know what's going to happen with Infinity Train or Glitch Checks or uh, Venture Brothers. So <laughs> at least Kipo got the end, like, as it wanted to. And, and at least... If like since we're comparing it to how how to train your dragon in terms of the sequel uh ranking, at least the third season of Kipo doesn't have super obnoxious side characters like the other dragon riders, like how to train your dragon three's third movie, because they just did not know what to do with those side characters. But here all these characters never felt out of place. They knew they had their story purposes and even though I would have loved to have seen more of some of them, even like the, some of the ones like uh, the blonde girl's dad, who's voiced by Jeff Bennett, uh, Hogue, uh, has his one redeeming moment when he tells everyone at the party that like the fireworks are full of cure medicine. And it's just a perfect show, man. I don't know what else I can say. I just, I hope this show racks up as many awards as possible at the Annie's next year. Same. Like, infant like and if we're just, like and we're just going off of new shows, it probably yeah, so, like because we're only talking about about new shows. Like, Cameron and I both love Infinity Train book book three, but because because even even though that series is like an anthology, the the stories can like do have a, a connective tissue, and since Infinity Train began in 2018 uh 18 or 19 i forgot right but point point is because it didn't the series didn't begin in 2020 we can't include it on our list but even if we could it it would probably struggle like we probably have to i'd probably give it a tie between the two so far this year like if we're counting old and new shows i think they've both have been the best like in terms of animated shows I, I would I would agree with that. Yeah, no, just just watch Kipo. The whole series is thirty episodes. It's it's got a bit of everything for everyone, and it's and just like the fungies and and such. It's just I yeah I I I would just tell everyone who hasn't seen it to watch it. Even people who aren't into animation, just who want a good fun action adventure story with complex characters you can't go wrong with kip kipo yeah this 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 gets my highest recommendation yeah same here uh now speak now speaking of recommendations i'm coming a little bit unprepared because i but a couple that i have just off the top of my head because because i brought up how to train your dragon um on on peacock you have um like the first two seasons of the animated series um you have riders of burke and defenders of burke and on netflix 
is like the rest of the show, which is titled um, Dragons Race to the Edge. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're, if, if you're like a uh, completionist and want to watch all of DreamWorks animated series, go check out that one. Cause I think, I think it's one of their best uh, film adaptations. And yeah. also um, I bring this up because my Fresh Takes uh, co-hosts, Brock Emmerich and I are covering Gurren Lagann. Um, you should you should you should watch Gurren Lagann because, as far as mech mech animes go, this has pretty much everything you you could ever want. Um, and as a little bit of a tease, one of our next um, series that we'll be covering is Neon Genesis Evangelion. That's going to be very fascinating. I might join in on that one. Um, and well, especially like you've never seen it before, right? I've, I've seen, I've seen it like I've seen bits and pieces and I've, I've kind of, I've been a little bit turned off by Neon Genesis because it, it comes, it comes off a little pretentious, um, for, for, for the genre, Mm -hmm. but I feel like I feel like I need to give it a more fair shake, which is yeah. which is why which is why um, we decided to cover this next after after Gurren Lagann. Well, you're that, you're tackling that, yeah, and um, because of, because of how much I've I've taken a liking to Studio Trigger, I want to go back and revisit some of the Gainax shows. Yeah, the yeah, Gainax. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a, you're basically looking at two of the most iconic shows that they made. The one that kind of uh, made them stand out. And then the one that was like their last hurrah before Gynax basically fizzled and Studio Trigger was born from those ashes. Yep. And yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of baggage with talking about Evangelion, not just the themes and the story, though there's a lot. <laughs> um but it's just the fandom, the impact it had on anime, and the sort of maybe hipstery backlash that might that has a lot of justified reasons for people to not like Evangelion. It, there's just a lot to it. It's it's pretty good to go in with fresh eyes on that on this one. And that that it, and I've heard so many things about the like the Netflix dub that I'm I'm curious to to get to the bottom of what what exactly people are complaining about. Oh, there's definitely some things from the dub that I've, and the subtitle fixes that I've seen that are a little like, okay, that's not great just because it's erasure for one character's uh, uh, sexuality <laughs> uh, towards another. And, but I'll let that be. Um, no, there, there's just a lot to do, and I can't wait for you to dive into that because at least it has some of the most unique mech um, out there with the Avas. And I guess for my recommendation, I'm going to try to stick with uh, spooky monster-themed uh, shows. So like last week, I talked about Moriarty, The Patriots, and Talentless Nana, 
which I'm going to be super excited to hear what you think about them when uh, we talk when we talk about the anime season. Yeah, um, Tellus Nana is the one that that you've been hyping up the most, and I can't wait to dive into that one. Oh gosh, I can't wait for you to. I can't wait to hear your reactions, and I'm sure you're probably going to be sending me many, many WTF, bro. <laughs> uh moments because that show is full of them um so i'm going to talk about one that's on crunchyroll that you can watch through crunchyroll or through verve uh called jujutsu kaisen which is the new shonen battle anime but with a supernatural twist it's kind of like a new generation um yu yu Hakusho in a way because it deals with curses and spirits and demons Oh, see, now oh. now you have my attention. Yeah, and it it's by the director of the uh, the summer 2020 con- uh, polarizing show, uh, The God of High School. So the action is going to be great. Um, and so far with the three episodes I've seen, it's full of great characters, fun action. And it's like, it's very, it definitely gives itself a... A, a fresh identity among the other shonen anime that are out these days and this includes like uh yashahime which is a lot of fun but i'm not going to recommend that one today like um but yeah jujutsu kaisen has this cool creepy eerie supernatural uh mix and it's also a good sign when the main female character who's a uh who is like a hard-edged like no nonsense uh, character basically upsets all the obnoxious male fan anime fans who are just like i don't like how like strong willed she is and it's just like okay we weeded out the good the bad eggs so <laughs> um but seriously it's such a fun show and it has probably one of the best endings to any anime this season and i also downloaded that song and i've listened to it a hundred like hundreds of times since then but yeah, watch Jujutsu Kaisen, watch Talentless Nana, and watch Moriarty the Patriot. Um, yeah. So that's it for me. All right. Well, this this was this was a fun episode. I'm I'm glad we got to go back and and uh, and re- revisit some of our other favorite shows um, that we talked about earlier this year. Yeah. No, it was. Um, it was just fun to go back to what are essentially three of our favorite shows. Even if we didn't give too much time to Doro Hidoro, there just wasn't much there anyway. But um, I loved seeing the fungies and uh, the finale for Kipo. So yeah, this was a great episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we did this one. Now, yeah. uh, before we go, Cameron, where can everyone find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter through twitter.com slash cams view or just, you know, at cams view. Uh, you can find me on the Renegade Pop Culture Facebook group. I'll be posting animation related stuff for Tuned Up from time to time. And um, and in, I run my own website called camsiview.biz where I review animated films called uh, titled The Other Side of Animation. I also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash cams view. If you'd like to, if you like my work and like to support me though, I'll be trying to set up like a one-off payment thing, like donation things like through PayPal and uh, that coffee service uh, just for people who can't uh, like commit to Patreon rules and whatnot. 
and um yeah you can just find me in some some of the other facebook groups mostly the the dissolve and then some of its subsequent subgroups um but yeah that's where you can find me awesome and you guys can find me on twitter and instagram at captain k42 check out all my quick thought reviews on letterbox.com slash coach k42 and then find me in all the various facebook groups at my name um you can find the facebook group for renegade pop culture our twitter at ren pop culture check out all our podcasts at anchor spotify stitcher where wherever you listen and last but not least don't forget to check out renegadepopculture.com need an escape so do we That'll do it for this episode of Tuned Up. We will catch you guys in the next one. Peace out. Bye.